Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the first episode of this Stradley Ronan podcast hosted by Dave Grimm, Mina Larmore, and Chris Zimmerman. Throughout the episode, you'll learn about new and proposed SEC rules on valuation and derivatives and what this means to fund boards. For the latest news, alerts, and podcasts, please visit stradley.com and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. All right, welcome to this Stradley podcast. I'm Dave Grimm in the IM group at Stradley, and I'm joined by two of my terrific partners, Mina Larmore and Chris Zimmerman. And Mina, Chris, and I were just comparing some notes on what we're hearing in the boardroom and what might be valuable for us to share on a podcast to board trustees. And we've come up with uh, some topics that we're hearing a lot about and wanted to share with you what we think you should know about them. So um, what we're going to do, if you're like most fund boards, you've been hearing a lot about um, the valuation rule and the derivatives rule. Today, instead of rehashing all that that you've heard already, what we want to give you a sense of is some practical advice on what's coming your way with these rules um, in the coming months. Um, we're going to spend about 15 minutes or so going through that, giving you some practical tips. There'll be some thoughts on what you should be looking for in your reporting under these rules, some questions you can consider asking, and some info on what the SEC has been thinking about in some exams. So, with that, um, let's get cooking on the derivatives rule. You're going to be receiving a lot of reporting from your derivatives risk manager at some upcoming meetings, and the rule requires a bunch of different things. And Chris, we're going to start with you, and you can just walk through briefly what, what, what's required by the rule. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dave. Uh, hi, everyone. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're about two months, almost two months into compliance with the new derivatives rule. Uh, now, boards may have seen some of uh, these reports already, but probably not all of them or even most of them. Now, first is the regular reporting. Uh, the rule requires that for full user funds, uh, the regular reporting be provided to the board at a frequency determined by the board. Now, most of what we've seen so far is uh, a quarterly reporting frequency. However, you know, we have seen some take the approach of providing this report on an annual basis. Uh, in any event, I certainly think it can be appropriate, though, for boards to receive the first uh, few reports and see how interesting the information is and how helpful it is in, in oversight and, and reassess that frequency as appropriate. Now, in terms of the substance of the regular reports, there are a few specific items that uh, are required to be reported. Uh, boards should assess whether they find any additional information uh, helpful in their oversight. Uh, the reporting should be presented in a fashion that the board, which is not tasked as being a derivatives expert or a, or a VAR or a stress uh, testing expert, uh, can digest in a clear manner. Uh, as everyone is aware, boards are responsible for not only derivatives, but a host of different things. And so this should be reflected in the materials themselves so the boards can review and assess uh, the reporting in an, in an efficient manner. Now, in terms of the other reporting, uh, most boards should have already received by now the annual report from the derivatives risk manager regarding program implementation and effectiveness. Uh, unlike 2A5, which we'll get into in a minute, this report was required at the outset of compliance with the rule. You know, we have seen multiple different approaches to this report, all of which seemed appropriate so long as it hits upon uh, the requirements of the rule. 
Uh, as a reminder, you might see a version of this report at the launch of any new fund that is a full user, and you will be seeing it again uh, next year on an annual basis. Now, the final report uh, that you know you may you may receive are the ad hoc reports for material events like a like a bar exceedance uh, that it, that um, that is for more than five days. You know, fortunately, we have not seen any of these types of reports yet, but I think it makes sense to have a process set up in place uh, prior to something like that happening. Uh, these reports are going to change based upon the nature of the exceedance or other type of material event, uh, but there are certainly procedural elements that can be uh, that are required under the rule, which can be reviewed with the board in advance. Excellent, Chris. Thank you for that. Mina, let's spend a few minutes on what you're seeing in these reports, and in particular, what you think directors should be looking for as they start getting these reports? Sure. So as Chris said, reporting is definitely underway, um, and we've had the opportunity to see a lot of these reports so far. Um, we've been noticing some trends, uh, but some differences. They definitely all address the required elements that Chris spoke about, um, but how they do so has differed. So we've seen varying levels of detail in these reports, the complexity and granularity of the reporting really depends on the fund complex and the extent to which they use derivatives, the derivatives they use, the purpose, et cetera, as well as what the board wants. Um, and this all makes complete sense. Um, we've seen a lot of data, graphs, and charts included, uh, which can be very helpful. Uh, you just have to make sure that they're uh, accompanied by any necessary explanations. We've seen some reporting that is more summary than others. The summary format is fine. The SEC indicated as much in its release. You just need to make sure that the context and analysis is also provided so that as a board member, you generally understand what is being conveyed. So, for example, we've seen some reports indicating that there were, you know, a, a set number of VAR backtesting exceptions. Uh, what does this mean? What caused the exceptions? Were they statistically significant? How are they being monitored? These are questions that as a trustee, you'd want to ask and understand. We all know that sometimes risk managers may seem to speak a different language. Uh, we've seen this language come through in some of the reports uh, that incorporate some complicated risk management concepts. Directors should just really make sure that they're receiving the necessary context and explanation to understand um, you know, these concepts that are being conveyed and any significant oversight issues that they should be aware of. Uh, I just can't reiterate enough that there, if there's anything in the report that you don't understand, board should ask questions um, and use this reporting as a means of gaining more knowledge on the topic. Um, I know we've heard it more times recently than I think in the past 20 years that the SEC emphasized that this should be an iterative process. Um, I actually think that the Word iterative owes the SEC uh, thanks for increasing its popularity, um, uh, but uh, it's 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 true. The board's oversight role requires regular engagement. They should ask follow-up questions, and it can evolve over time. Directors are not required to be experts, but you really should have a general understanding of the role and how it applies to the funds that they oversee. Um, Chris, do you want to add anything on the reporting angle? Yeah, so while you know there are specific requirements under the rule uh, with respect to reporting, you know, there is just an inherent element of flexibility in the actual information that is presented. Um, boards can certainly provide their input. Um, you know, as Mina mentioned, this is a complicated rule that uh, covers a complicated subject area. You know, the reporting does not need to make things more complicated, um, in my view. 
or in our view, <laughs> the information can be reviewed and uh, and enhanced as needed. Um, and I think again, it's just an iterative process. And um, you know what you see now doesn't necessarily need to be what you always see uh, from here on out. I think that's really well said by the both both of you, and would just sort of reinforce those points. Like there's some very simple questions here, right, that directors can have on their mind when they're looking at what potentially could be some very pretty complicated reporting. You know, what are the key takeaways here? What are you trying to tell me with this data, right? And another sort of simple one to ask to try to flush out what's going on is, how are you spending your time? How'd you spend your time the last quarter, you know, as the derivatives risk manager, right? That tends to uh, suss out the, the kinds of issues that, that the risk manager's been spending time on. So um, I think that's great on um, questions and reporting. Um, Nina, should we kick it to you on the SEC already um, out on the road asking some exa uh, some exam questions about this rule very soon after its implementation? Do you want to, with Chris, I guess, take us through? But Chris, why don't you start, right? And then, and Nina, I know you have a perspective to share on that as well. Why don't you, why don't you uh, walk us through what's in the exam letter? Yeah, so as, as Dave just mentioned, uh, SEC exam letter went out. Um, this exam has been widely reported. Um, it's interesting, the period of the SEC request uh, was for one year ended August 30th. Uh, and with the compliance date of August 19th, uh, you know, we're talking about 11 days of compliance. Um, some of the information requested, uh, like the escalation of material risks or regular reporting or uh, bar exceedances, uh, simply just may not be in existence yet. Um, it's important to note that the board materials uh, piece was just one piece of the exam overall. Um, but I think, you know, requesting what the board has received, it's, it's, um, it's the first place for the SEC to start from. You know, it's, it may be more helpful for them to start at that level rather than the detailed worksheets and, and model testing. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good place to see overall compliance, uh, you know, in the board materials. So I would imagine the SEC, um, you know, may not have seen um, a whole lot of programs, reports, or 3881 compliance policies and procedures yet. So again, I think this will be interesting to them. Uh, that being said, you know, if the SEC finds something deficient, I have no doubt that they will raise it. Yeah, Chris, you made a good point that this this may be and conjecture in the industry is that this is sort of an information gathering exercise because um, the SEC wants to really see what the derivatives programs look like for these fund groups and the board materials that are being provided because they don't have access to that and the um, rule wasn't prescriptive in that regard. Um, so not that I'm trying to plug law firms here, but uh, this is an area where boards can use their outside counsel who do have access to all of this reporting from a variety of fund groups um, and can provide comments if the reporting seems to be an outlier. So I, th I think as a, as a board member, I would be asking, you know, are, are these what you're seeing? Is this, is this generally what you're seeing in the industry of my outside counsel? Well done. Anything um, else that you guys want to share on derivatives before we shift to valuation? No? All right. Let's, let's go to valuation. Let's turn to valuation and we're going to um, fly through this one a little more quickly because I think, you know, boards historically have been very involved in valuation issues. And so while the new rule makes some changes to how that's going to roll, um, I think boards have a, a familiarity with these issues that will allow us to move through this pretty quickly. And one thing I would point 
point out before we get to the valuation reporting, which is going to be the main way that you engage with this rule going forward, I just like to point out that the rule allows for boards to designate to their advisor the responsibility for fair valuation. And that is really important to boards, right? I think historically that's kind of the way it should have been, but it was a little unclear whether the law actually allowed that. This rule does allow that. I think that clarity of roles um, is, is a good thing for boards and for management actually going forward. So in that um, scheme of, of being permitted to designate um, responsibility to the advisor, of course that makes it important for the board to get good reporting from the advisor on what the advisor's up to, right? So the rule requirements for valuation reporting are actually somewhat similar to what we just went through with derivatives. There's three main kinds of reporting, right? There's the regular quarterly reporting on some certain specific topics. There's an annual assessment of how it's going. Um, and there is certain there are certain items that have to be promptly reported to the board, which can be sort of outside of the regular uh, calendar of, of board meetings. So that's broadly what the regulatory scheme is. Uh, Mina, do you want to spend a few minutes talking about what you're seeing um, in the boardroom in, in, in light of those requirements? Sure. Um, so the, the big influence in the substance of this new reporting is the ex existing reporting, um, what boards are used to seeing. Uh, this has typically been the starting point for kind of 2A5 implementation. A number of fund groups and boards are kind of using 2A5 as a catalyst to take a fresh look at valuation reporting, which is a good thing. Um, based on that starting point, you know, what you've historically seen or been providing, some groups are adding more reporting, some are taking reporting away. Um, we've seen summarized dashboard reporting as a trend. And the level of detail supporting that dashboard reporting has varied. Um, we've seen some boards moving away from reports on individual fair value securities and instead focusing on trends that can help them get comfortable with evaluation designees valuation process overall. Um, for example, looking at quarter over quarter significant changes in fair value rather than a report on every fair valued security. Um, the valuation risk assessments that are um, you know, discussed in the role also have varied among fund groups. Uh, first of all, they vary as to whether the initial valuation risk assessment is even provided. The role doesn't require that an initial risk assessment be provided, um, but we have seen a number of fund groups providing one to the boards just to give them context as to the periodic reporting requirement to report on any material changes to the assessment evaluation risks. So it kind of gives you that, you know, starting point. Um, for these fund groups that have been providing this risk assessment, we've seen them vary as to the level of detail and granularity. Um, some have just been focused on the specific factors that the adopting release identified that needed to be included. Um, some have been kind of adding additional factors that maybe they had historically used more informally and kind of making that a more formal tracking of risk. Um, we've seen a lot of these risk assessments using risk ratings, heat maps, numerical scoring, um, and some of, some of this has been modeled after uh, reporting that auditors use. Um, I think the key for the valuation risk assessment is just to make sure that there's also an aspect of how those risks are mitigated and monitored. 
Um, so I, I would be looking for that as a trustee. I guess the overall, this periodic reporting element that Dave discussed has a catch-all provision that requires the advisor to provide anything requested by the board. Um, so that has resulted in, you know, different reporting depending on the different boards, uh, which which is okay. Um, you know, ho however, the board feels it, whatever it feels it needs to perform its oversight function. Dave, did you have anything you wanted to add on reporting? Um, you know, questions what the board should be looking for? Yeah, I think that's great, Mina. And like, sort of as you think about reporting and the kinds of questions you might think about asking as a trustee, I think some of the questions are similar to what we talked about with derivatives, right? Like, what is the key takeaway from all this information you're giving me? Like, wh why are you telling me this? Or what? How have you been spending your valuation time in the last quarter? You know, is, um, are there particular risks you've been focused on, or particular types of securities you've been focused on? That kind of that kind of thing. Um, in terms of some other more specific things, I think pricing service uh, oversight and due diligence is a big piece of the new rule. And again, with the delegation, it creates an opportunity for boards to really formally turn that over to to management, right? So. To the extent boards have been having visits from pricing service per, per, per pricing services previously, I think you can think about whether that is still necessary. You, you can do it if you want to, but you don't. You don't necessarily have to, right? You can rely on the advisor to do that. Um, last area of sort of questions that I would consider if I was a trustee is around the testing, right? Like, all right, you're you're assigning these fair values. Are you comparing those to actual transactions in the market? And how's that comparison going? You know, does it line up and, and justify how you're valuing? So there's some questions to think about. Um, so as a, as a way of bringing this to a, a close, Chris, I think we wanted to hit on a couple issues that we view as sort of common to both the derivatives rule and the valuation rule. Do you want to uh, highlight those for us, please? Sure. Uh, one thing, and we've, uh, we've we talked about this already, but... Uh, just reliance on experts, um, you know, I think valuation may, to a certain extent, come more naturally because this was already an existing process. But in, in both rules, uh, the derivatives risk manager and the advisor are subject matter uh, experts on both derivatives and valuation. Uh, the boards can rely on these entities and other experts in order to provide uh, the appropriate oversight. Uh, that being said, just generally, boards are expected to have a level of understanding in order to provide that um, in order to provide that oversight. The other thing would be that while boards can, you know, expect plenty of reporting here, uh, in general, you know, boards should expect that they will not be asked to take uh, actions under these rules very often. For example, only very significant items uh, under the derivatives rule require immediate action in terms of receiving reports. Uh, as Mina said, ask questions, be diligent in oversight, and demonstrate that um, and demonstrate that oversight with respect to both rules. Uh, and finally, I would say, as a general reminder, I think your board minutes and the record generally should reflect the level of oversight that the board is undertaking. This type of over the type of oversight uh, can be demonstrated is something that has always been important, but now, especially, um, I think more so. Now that the board is tasked with the specific oversight of derivatives risk management and uh, valuation under these rules. Great stuff, Chris um, and Mina as well. Thank you both. But, you know, you're terrific on this stuff and, and, and fantastic colleagues to boot. I uh, appreciate you 
hanging out with me today and, and sharing your insights. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please join us for the other part of our series. That podcast is going to be about some new rules, some new rules from the SEC that are coming down the pike, um, in particular um, ESG, cybersecurity, and the names rule, and what fund directors need to know about those. So that's a wrap for us today. Thanks again for listening. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this Stradley Ronan podcast. Stradley Ronan is a full-service firm with an award-winning investment management practice. Recently ranked in band one for nationwide registered funds in the 2022 edition of Chambers USA, America's leading lawyers for business, Stradley's investment management group works closely with its securities litigation, corporate, tax, intellectual property, and other practice areas to manage clients' legal challenges. For the latest news, alerts, and podcasts, be sure to follow Stradley Ronan on LinkedIn and Twitter.